world's changed a lot in the past hundred years, and, and maybe COVID's will push people back to. I know it is pushing people back here around here to grow more of their own food. Um, but that's something we've lost. Growing in Place, a show about food and resilience in rural Indiana. I'm Violet Barron. I'm Michael Hicks, and the farm's name is Living Roots Farm. We are in French Lake, Indiana. Michael's been farming for about 20 years, and he started his own farm in 2004. And full disclosure, he's my farmer. I signed up for a CSA, or farm share, with Living Roots this year, and honestly, it hasn't disappointed. We sat down in Switchyard Park, which is an outdoor space in Bloomington that's just opened its social distance market for the summer. He talked about what it was like to start up his farm and to maintain it, and how he got to this point. For him, it was kind of a personal need. There was this deep down feeling that I was not competent even, you could say, as an adult, and that I had no idea how to grow my own food. I had not a great idea how to cook food. I knew there was a lot more food out there, but I knew that the lim I could see the limitations that were being placed in the world that I grew up in, and, and um, but just but just my skills and my knowledge, and so it's like I want to be empowered. I want to be more self-reliant. I want to learn to grow my own food. When he thinks about what really got him started, he remembers his grandfather. He was a guy who grew organic produce and who shared it with his family when Michael was growing up in Bedford, Indiana. His grandfather was passionate about self-reliance when most of Michael's family cared more about academics and sports. He also grew organic way before that was a norm for small farmers. But Michael didn't exactly start out in that place of appreciating organic farming. But I didn't really, until I went away into another country, I, I didn't really think about that. Until it was sort of foreign. Yeah. Yeah, yeah I had to kind of like step away and come back. I went to the Kelly School of Business at IU and got a degree in finance. And then I worked in the corporate world for two years for Dow Chemical Company. Kind of the opposite of what I'm doing now. He worked as a cost accountant for the company's plastic products, which was a pretty technical job. Was there a switch? Was there like a moment where you were like, I'm not doing this? Yeah, so within a month of working for Dow Chemical, I was like, oh, this is not, not my world and, and not where I want to put my energy. And um, it really hit me hard. It hit me really hard. It was already well in my consciousness that I, I need to really make better choices in my life and find out what I like to do. And mm -hmm. I don't want to put my energy towards something that I don't believe in. And so after I worked for Dow Chemical, I had to travel literally just travel for a couple years straight with no plans to just explore and, and then that's when I traveled to Europe and worked in Ireland and Spain. Mm. I was just really open at what what I could do what I, and what I like to do. And that's when he first really worked on a farm. He was woofing, that's W-W-O-O-F. It stands for Worldwide Opportunities on Organic Farms. It's a project that lets travelers work for room and board on farms around the world. He woofed in three regions of Ireland and in Spain's Andalusian mountains, landing in each place by chance while he made his way through 20 countries. And then he came home to start the farm. 
Yeah, so when I started the farm in 2004, it was more of like, it was just me. It was on my family's land. They didn't have a produce farm. It was an old rundown. It wasn't my grandfather's land. It was my parents' land. And, and it was it was more of just an old rundown farm that was fallow, wasn't being used at all. And and it was more, the initially, the first couple years, it wasn't about how much food can I produce. It was like, how can I learn? Mm really learn and so I was doing most things by hand and I was just really trying the waters and just experimenting all different kinds of ways and and that really helped me learn a lot of the basics um, from the ground up. And then it came to a pivot point. I, 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 I was working a full-time accounting job just to earn money and so then I, after doing that for a year and a half I decided I was gonna quit that job and then so now I need to make a living mm. so that changed it a little bit and but I, I couldn't really build a sustainable farm I couldn't put in infrastructure I couldn't plant perennials so much because it wasn't my land and um, I didn't have future access to that land even though it was my family's so um, what does that mean future access I mean when you know when you grow say plant a fruit tree you need to know that you're gonna be able to use that land and you know you don't really start getting much return until five or ten years mm -hmm. after you plant trees and so um, there wasn't that assurance. They weren't giving me that assurance. Mm -hmm. Part of the reason for that was just a difference of opinion and values. His dad was from another generation, and he had a different vision for the land and for Michael. So it wasn't the place for me to build a farm, yeah. essentially. And so I needed to get my own land, and um, that wasn't working out at that point. And I, I looked at properties, and I made some offers, and nothing was working. And I had a relationship that didn't work and, and and so I I decided I need to step away for a little bit and so he stepped away again and I was getting into yoga and healing arts and so I moved to California and, and I, I was I went out there to learn about people because I also had a, a strong interest in community and how to build community and farming and um, so I went to to California Institute of Integral Studies and studied counseling psychology and and I went to massage school. I was doing a lot of healing arts work. Mm -hmm. And I, fo I really focused on that for two to three years. Um, that was the biggest thing in my life, not food. I still had gardens out there and I learned some things, but uh, it was just a little sidestep for me to fill in some gaps and become a, a better person, a better leader. And I earned a lot of money in mm -hmm. California wages. <laughs> so yeah. and I brought all that back again to Indiana in 2009 and then bought a place in Jasper, Indiana. Um, and, and then that kind of started the next phase of the project. His savings helped him buy the place in Jasper and start investing in Living Roots as an organization and as a teaching farm. He also began to build a permaculture farm there and to learn techniques for sustainable agriculture. That farm had about two acres of produce. In 2013, he bought his current property, which is 75 acres in French Lake, Indiana. He's got grass-fed cattle and free-range chickens, about five acres of produce, and five rotating acres for pigs. He says he's invested hundreds of thousands of dollars in revenue back into the farm, which has allowed him to expand and improve the layout. I 
asked Michael how listeners can access healthy food from places like his farm. Well, our farm is located about five miles from French Lick. You can buy food directly from our farm. We have a, farm, a little farm stand in the middle of summer, but there's also a food co-op, Lost River Co-op in Paoli, and they carry a lot of local produce, and they're committed to um, local. There's a good farmer's market in, on Saturdays in Orleans, and there's, um, there's little weekday markets in French Lick and Paoli as well. Yeah, and then Lost River Co-op also has, we have a CSA, and you can pick up, pick up on our farm every Tuesday evening, and that's produce between May and December and, and meat and eggs year-round. You can, you can join our CSA and pick up from our farm. And then Lost River Co-op has a distribution CSA where they get produce and other products from multiple local farms. And they operate from June through, I think, September, maybe October. And uh, you can sign up for that and pick up directly at the co-op every, every week. That's orangecountyhomegrown.org. We have links in our show notes so you can learn more. Michael, if he sees this changing now that COVID-19 has really upturned a lot of our daily lives. Yeah, we're going to grow food in the mm-hmm. ground. And I mean, there's other ways to grow food, but still predominantly food is grown in the ground and with soil and sunlight and, and water and all the elements. And and it's a basic, again, basic primitive way of like, we need food. We're going to grow food. Mm-hmm. People are going to find a way to grow food, I hope. Mm-hmm. And... Um, hmm. But, but I don't know, maybe maybe the world's changed a lot in the past 100 years, and, and maybe COVID will push people back to, I know it is, pushing people back here, around here, to grow more of their own food. Um, but that's something we've lost. I mean, if you didn't even think about it 100, 200, 300, 400 years ago, it's like, of course you're growing food, and you must do it, and that's one of the basic needs of life. But because food has become, and, and still it's a basic need of life, but people are used to being very disconnected from their food and someone else growing their food. So, I mean, I mean that's what it seems like COVID's doing is it's bringing that connection a little bit back because all of a sudden people are going to the grocery store, or they did a couple of months ago, and all, there was no potatoes or there was no bread this week. Or like, okay, well, they're sold out of this. Or, oh, I can't just go and buy, buy this. And so all of a sudden that reaches deep down in that person and, and they feel a little bit nervous now. They don't have that assurance that they're going to have the food that they've always had. I mean, it goes back to what I was talking about like 20 years ago when I had that feeling of like, I want more self-reliance on that level. I don't want to be one of those people. Um, I want to know <laughs> how to do it. I want to know how, and then and then five years later, I want to know, not just mentally, I want to know in my body, what does it take from in my body to grow this much food? What does that mean on a tangible level? And those things are so lost. And, and, and that's why, I mean, that's why Living Roots is, is thriving, I think, a lot now because I like took it really deep. It wasn't just about, okay, there's land everywhere here in Indiana. I can get a tractor and go out and plant seeds and do this and that. But, like, I wanted to know what each plant needs and how each plant functions. And, you know, and I didn't have all the 
I didn't have good irrigation for a whole bunch of years. I didn't have um, some basic aspects of like that we have now. So I learned, but that means I learned more about plants. And like in the drought year of 2012, okay, so well, we did, nothing was growing for a bunch of months. But I knew because I had experimented so much, all these, once the weather did start to change, all these plants that you could still plant in the middle of the summer or the fall, like when I started farming here in Bloomington, selling at the farmer's market in 2005, there were hardly no farms. There was almost no food at the market, fresh food, fresh produce at the market after the frost, which normally happens in October. Now it's different. And that, that's an area that I start to really explore is season extension and then growing in the winter. And by 2012 or 13 or something like that, I was getting pretty good at it. And, and so we can supply as consistent food year round. But that's been a process and you have to really dive in. What are the options of plants? What do they need? How much infrastructure do you have to have? Labor-wise, what does that take? T planning wise what does that take? All these things. What's changing now? What do you see changing? I mean, I definitely see, I definitely see a rise in increase in demand, local local food, better quality food, and I think, I think too, if if local farms are stable this year, then that's going to give our public more confidence too. Hey, local farms can provide. I know there's there's supply issues all across the board, but. No, we're, we're you know we're delivering an incredible amount of produce, meat, and eggs, all suddenly reaching new customers. Um, and then, well, and, and I guess it's too soon to tell if that de demand's gonna stay there. Um, I think it will. I think there's a lot of once you get back on to <laughs> real food and good food straight from the farm, it's it's hard to go back. I think mm. for a lot of people. The other big thing is you know people are growing more of their own food and like more people are getting backyard chickens or more people are growing a garden. The question is, is how deep are people going to go with that? Are they going to stick with it? And then, you know, how many people are going to go deeper and grow more food year-round? Or I mean, I'm sure, I'm sure they will. So, we'll see. new local farms are going to start how many new young farmers are going to come out of this you know that's the real question of yeah young farmers and yeah um, actually i wanted to ask you about young farmers because yeah. i think you mentioned if that was a big problem that yeah. there aren't a lot yeah is that still true yeah it's really true i mean there's a handful of new good farmers that have stuck with it in bloomington here it's just really hard to get land it's really hard to get started the finances are insurmountable for most people and you don't make anything you have to invest a lot in and it's real. If you have to buy land, it's almost impossible. So we're still we're still sticking to that. I mean, the old generations are holding a lot of land, and and certain people have a lot of land, and it's easy to get access to land, but it's not easy to get ownership of land for a significant land. They're nice people. You can buy small farms, but it's still not that easy. It depends where you're at in the country. But you know that was a thing. Like a lot of people would always let me use their land, which is great. But you want. You, you need more ownership. You need to know that like, you're gonna build the soil, you're gonna, it's gonna come back in 10 years and it's a lot of work. Or you're gonna plant the fruit trees that you're gonna be able to have access to those fruit trees in 10 years. So that's what we're, you know, at Living Roots, that's really the thing is like, and that's what I'm, I'm committed to is like building that farm on that land and seeing it go beyond me. It's not about me, it's about future generations. And we're trying to train new farmers on it too to spread it around the country because people come from all over 
And are they doing that? Because you've been yeah. doing that for a while now. Yeah. Yeah. yeah I mean, it's across the board. Mm -hmm. And some people um, never step foot on a farm again. Some people start their own farm that never thought they would. Mm. So it's, but um, yeah, there's there's a, there's a handful of people that have their own farms. There's a lot of people that do more gardens or work on farms. There's some people that don't, but yeah. I mean, it's definitely making a difference. Mm -hmm. I would like to see more. <laughs> So another big question is uh, resilience, um, and I feel like that can be kind of a charged word, you know what I mean? So I'm curious what you think about farmers and resilience and, you know, pandemic and beyond, you know? Yeah, I mean, how much resilience do you want? I mean, we are really going to go, I mean, it's all relative. I mean, I it'd be much better at least to be resilient within our own communities. It's, it's it's farming and to be truly resilient I mean it's so much about investing for the future and so that's so hard in this world where people are we're all a lot of people are in paycheck to paycheck bills are expensive you can't invest you need money to come back now we also have the patterns that we expect to push a button and get something now and farms and nature is just not like that I mean I'm so grateful Bloomington community has been so supportive mm. over the years of our farm by buying our stuff yeah. and appreciating it what keeps you guys going while other farms may be coming and going? Well, I mean, I guess that's part of like buying land. Once you like make the leap, then you have to. <laughs> I mean, it's going back to that exploring I did earlier in my life. I found out what I like to do and I didn't settle for something I didn't really like to do. And it's just working through the challenges and just trying to take one step at a time and getting better every season, you know? Yeah. I mean, our farm, our farm's not really resilient because too much knowledge still lies with me. Mm. And that's that's just the truth. And this is what happens a lot in these kind of things is that, that when someone, there's no one to like carry it forward. And I work a lot of hours and I don't get paid for them. I mean, I'm, my birthday's today, I'm 45. Happy birthday. <laughs> Thanks. I'm, I feel for the most part as young as I was when I was 25. But still, you know, it's like, okay, 45. And it's like my grandpa that I talked about, he, he had a huge garden until he was like 80, 85, and he wow. had a decent garden until he died when he was 90. <laughs> This show is brought to you by Indiana University's Center for Rural Engagement, engaging communities through research, teaching, service, and partnerships. Our home is at Indiana Environmental Reporter, thanks to the Media School at Indiana University. And a big thank you to Elaine Monahan who made all of this possible. And thanks to you for listening. We'll see you next time.